You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. This is Professor Robert D'Agostino uh, of Atlanta's Don Marshall Law School, for those who are interested. And the show is Do Facts Matter? It had been. And today I'm going to talk about uh, several different things. I'll get back to my theme about uh, progressivism and what's going on in, in the country today. Before I want that, I want to make a comment, however. Uh, Major League Baseball has just announced that they're going to recognize various Negro leagues, particularly um, Negro National League and later on the Negro American League, as Major League Baseball uh, leagues, which means their statistics uh, insofar as they can find them. And they've been doing a good job doing that, by the way, and box scores and what have you uh, can be ascertained. Now, one of the interesting things I've, uh, one of my great, uh, I'm a great baseball fan, and, I, and I've always thought that the, the best pitcher in all of baseball may have been a guy named Satchel Page. Uh, of course, Negro League charge, Satchel Page, of course, came up to the major leagues at the age of 41. At least that's what he claimed he was 41. One doesn't know, he, for all we know, he was 50. Um, Sacho Page was very, uh, let us say, unclear about how old he really was. But in any case, he was a great pitcher. And he came up with the Cleveland Indians in 1948. And his reputation was so great in the baseball world that whenever he was announced as a pitcher, uh, Cleveland's stadium would fill up, including uh, the, the, the stadium they used for a while that sat 70,000 people which they used uh, when the Yankees were in town or certain special holidays. Uh, and uh, Satchel Page was a tremendous draw. And in fact, in 1948, with the Cleveland Indians, in the stretch drive, when he came up, he was 6-1, and one, and his ERA was lower than Bob Feller's. And uh, Bob Feller was 3.56 that year, and what was... Uh, Satchel Page 2.48, so he had six and one, and he helped uh, Cleveland win the uh, the pennant and go to the World Series. Uh, he next year he was born seven with Cleveland, uh, a lot of relief uh, appearances, and he still only had a uh, he still had a lower ERA than Bob Feller. It was 3.56 that year, and Bob Feller was 3.75. So. You see what a great pitcher he was, and this is a person who's pitching at 41 and 42 years old. According to him and according to the biography, again, it's unclear whether he was that young. Um, Subsequently, he pitched in the minors for a few years, major league minors, and he pitched for the St. Louis Browns. And and then uh, when he was 58 years old, he was brought up to the majors, I think by the Kansas City Athletics, and in order to qualify for a baseball pension. Because although Satchel Page did very well financially, uh, he was uh, notorious for jumping contracts and, and accepting uh, you know, money from various teams or barnstorming teams, uh, he, um, uh, he spent a lot of money. He was a real big spender, and he also helped support his, his mother in Alabama. So uh, he uh, was not... Uh, let us say, in, in good shape financially. Uh, so in order to qualify for the baseball pension, he was brought up for a short time uh, in, uh, in 19, when he was 58 years old. 
uh, and because uh, he died at when he was seventy-five. But he was. I urge you who are interested in baseball to go ahead and take a look at his biography. Uh, it's really a, a, a fun read. And some of the stories, yes, it's true that at one point Satchel Page told, told his entire outfield to sit down because no one was going to hit the ball out of the infield. And sure enough, no one did. And uh, at other times, the rumor is that uh, Babe Ruth who used to do barnstorming. And Babe Ruth would barnstorm with the major league all-stars. And he'd barnstorm around the country uh, 50, sometimes 50 games or more uh, during uh, the off-season uh, to make money. And, of course, uh, uh, Babe Ruth's notorious for having said that uh, when he was making 80000 a year that he was making more than a president of the United States. That was in the 1930s. He said, well, it had a bad year. But he made a lot more than 80000 <clears throat> with endorsements and barnstorming and what have you. Maybe a few hundred thousand a year extra, which was a lot of money in those days for sure. Uh, maybe times by six and you get the equivalent buying power right now. But the rumor is that uh, although Babe Ruth was managed the barnstorming team and put it together, that when Satchel Page was announced as the opposing pitcher, and yes, the major league white ball players played Negro ball players in the barnstorming, and not a number of major leagues, including people like uh, Lou Gehrig, were in favor of uh, integrating the, the majors. Uh, Babe Ruth did not want to face Satchel Page, and so he. Used that whenever Satchel Page was announced, rumor has it Babe Ruth would decide that that was a rest day for him and he wouldn't play. Uh, so, so there's a, a good argument that uh, Satchel Page was in, in a class with Christy Matcheson and, uh, and Cy Young and the other great, Grover Cleveland Alexander and the other great uh, uh, pitchers in baseball history. And, and I think uh, he was. Now, his overall. Um, uh, if you read about the Negro Leagues, you read that a certain other uh, pitcher uh, has the most uh, most wins, 150 wins, whereas um, Satchel Page in the Negro Leagues, uh, as during their time they're now qualified as a major league up to 1948, he had 146 wins. So he was behind the um, the, uh, the the leading pitcher. However, if you add the 20 uh, some odd wins, I think. He, 28 wins in the majors, he is uh, he is uh, ahead, and he would have uh, more victories. Uh, his overall record uh, apparently was uh, two, 205 wins uh, and 117 losses, and that includes the minor leagues, the major leagues, the Negro leagues. So he has over 200 wins uh, as a pitcher, which would put him in the top uh, top. Well into the top, uh, I don't know, well into, but uh, top hundred pitches in Major League history in terms of wins. Um, anyway, I uh, enjoyed very much his biography. Uh, obviously, uh, it uh, it was entertaining. And yes, during his time in uh, Negro Leagues, he once in a while jumped to a minor league team. In fact, minor league team that uh, played in I think it was Canada or. or northern part of the United States, Minnesota, which was primarily white. So he did play in integrated baseball before he got got to the major leagues, and it was only a question of who would pay him and how much he would get paid because he had a lot of expenses. Uh, He was was into wine, women, and song and expensive cars, 
and uh, it's quite a, quite a character. Six foot three, hundred and eighty pounds, maybe really skinny. And he, uh, but uh, he, he could uh, he could pitch like almost no no other. So it's a. It would be nice if he had been in the major leagues of white, the, the American or National League during his prime. No telling how many victories he would really have had. No, no, no telling where he would have stood in terms of in terms of history. Um, but in any case, uh, it, it, again, I urge you to, to read his biography. I uh, really enjoyed enjoyed that, uh, and I enjoyed the fact that, by the way, Josh Gibson, you know, who's a rumor, he ate eight hit 800 home runs. Maybe so, but as a major leaguer, I, in the leagues there, recognize as major leagues, uh, the Negro National League, Negro American League, etc., his total uh, by box scores was 228 home runs. So he's, um, uh, the 800 home runs, he may have hit them, but uh, you'd have to include the barnstorming, you'd have to include uh, uh, minor league uh, type games, you'd have to include pickup games, uh, no question, he was a great home run hitter, and he led the Negro leagues in, in total home runs. And, and you say, well, what's two twenty eight? Well, how many games did they play? In, I mean, one hundred and fifty four, which was the traditional uh, white uh, 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 schedule. Uh, one hundred sixty two, the current white schedule, uh, or the current major league schedule, not no longer white schedule, major league schedule. Uh, uh, and the answer is, uh, I don't know. Uh, but uh, those interested, uh, there's a uh, in Kansas City has a museum uh, dedicated to Negro Leagues, and I'm certainly going to visit that uh, one of my on my bucket list one of these days to visit that museum. I did visit the Cooperstown Museum and found it fantastic. I really enjoyed my visit to Cooperstown for the uh, uh, <clears throat> Major League uh, Museum up there, baseball museum up there. But anyway, the whole thing. Uh, so. I'm very interested in seeing what they really come up with, all the statistics. And, and there are people who've worked on that for years to ascertain, it, you know, looking at old newspapers, box scores, and what have you, to find out exactly what went on. All right. With that kind of, um, you know, fun-type uh, discussion, because, uh, as I said, I'm a rabid baseball fan. Well, you know, pretty rabid baseball fan. And, by the way, just as that... Uh, Kudos to the Atlanta Braves to stick with the name Atlanta Braves. This nonsense about microaggressions and about uh, insults. Look, the Washington Redskins, who have changed their name, they no longer call themselves the Redskins. Why don't you look up and see where they got the name Redskins from? It was before they were in Washington. I don't remember where they were, but their coach was part Indian. And they called themselves the Redskins to honor their coach. It was honor their coach, not uh, not not meant as an insult, not meant as uh, 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 looking down on Indians. In fact, uh, on the contrary, most of these uh, Indian nicknames uh, came up because of the reputation of Indians as fighters, and not give up. You know, the I mean, after all, <laughs> when I was growing up, uh, when when. Uh, we played Cowboys and Indians. One of the things we called was Geronimo. And Geronimo meant aggressive, uh, undefeated in the field uh, leader. And that was Geronimo. Uh, yeah, so I, I don't think that uh, this idea that uh, being named after Indians or with Indian-oriented name are, are, are an insult. Uh, 
the, the Seminoles, Florida, one of the Florida football teams, college football teams are called the Seminoles, and when the busybodies started protest, the leadership of the Seminole tribes down there said, bug out. Uh, we, we consider this an honor to have the team named after us. Uh, again, that was an undefeated uh, by the United States Indians. They took to the swamps and the uh, wild parts of Florida, and uh, they were undefeated uh, by the by the by U.S. military. Uh, and so I, I, I don't understand that this. Uh, uh, I guess these busybodies want uh, want everybody to be uh, alienated from society, and of course that's 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 a, that actually is the goal. The entire left-wing movement in this country, progressive movement now, is about getting people alienated, especially the young, alienated from their own country. Alienation is, uh, I guess, prerequisite for eventual control. Uh, Make them angry. Make them alienated. Make them despair. I mean, one of the things that that I've noticed in the last few years of teaching uh, is... Students don't have a sense of humor anymore. They are so alienated, that, uh, it, it, and they don't know they're alienated from society, that you can't tell a funny story, you can't tell a joke. And lots of humor, of course, is ethnic humor. Uh, and uh, Jewish comedians used to tell jokes about Jews, and Italian communi- comedians would tell jokes about Italians, well, somewhat relying on stereotypes once in a while, or, or pre- presumed stereotypes. And uh, it was funny. I mean, uh, Jack Benny uh, spent a career making believe he was uh, skinflint, that he was very tight with his uh, money. Uh, and it was not true, of course. Jack Benny was a very generous man. and uh, but, but he made a career out of this. I mean, one of the most famous uh, uh, bits on radio was uh, Jack Benny bit when he was uh, walking to the office and he got held up. Uh, and the the mugger said, your money or your life, and silence, nothing. So the, 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 the mugger said again, your money or your life, and Jack Benny said, I'm thinking, I'm thinking. And this was a tremendous, one of the, you know, the biggest laughs in radio history, uh, but it built on the stereotype of, Jews being skinflints, which is you know natural Jewish uh, uh, contributions, uh, Carol contributions are very high per capita, uh, one of the highest in the country. Uh, you know, conservatives in general give more, but uh, as a non-conservative group, uh, Jews give uh, a tremendous amount of money to, to charities. The only people who don't give money to charities are in liberals, up, upper middle class liberals from New York East Side, and uh, they're very skin talking about skinflints. And when they do give to charity, look it up. They give to things like the ballet or the opera, things that indirectly benefit them, because they go to the ballet and they go to the opera, and they get tax write-offs for their contributions. So I think um, uh, it's unfortunate that uh, people have to be so careful about what they say, because anything... This idea that it's the effect on somebody else that counts Got a break. rather than intent or rather than intent on the recipient of a comment is crazy. <clears throat> uh, I can remember the story about the football team, high school football team, which was integrated football team with the whites and blacks. On the team, got along great. They were uh, teammates. They 
socialized together. They, uh, you know, went to parties together. They did all sorts of things together. And they, of course, as men happen to do many often, that they, uh, in referring to each other in the nastiest language, language that uh, I remember when my wife once said, how come you're so mean when you talk to, to, uh, to your friend Jack? And I said, well, because he's one of my best friends. That's what friends do. They, they tend to say, they refer to each other in kind of nasty terms. Robert, well, these football players did that. Robert, we uh, need well to take a break. Uh, break. Yeah. So we'll be back in just a moment. Before we uh, <clears throat> leave you, though, I want to remind everybody how important it is to go and vote. You've still got a few days, but you can get there today and vote and uh, get your opinion expressed and uh, like everybody's saying this is probably historically one of the most important elections ever and it's in Georgia and be sure if you don't want your guns taken away and you want to stay with capitalism that you vote for Kelly Loeffler and David Perdue put them back in office keep them in office we'll be back with Robert in just a moment Whether cruising the Strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. This is David Donaldson with the Atlanta Healing Center, conveniently located in Lawrenceville, Georgia. At AHC, your success is our goal. Addiction recovery is about more than just not using. It's about becoming a whole person and addressing all aspects of your physical, psychological, and social needs. Please call us at 770-696-9862, or you can reach us on the web at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. This is Professor Robert D'Agostino with Do Facts Matter. And I was talking about this uh, busybody nonsense uh, that occurs uh, when someone, uh, not a party to a, to a conversation, not a party to anything, decides that they should be offended by something. And this happened to this football team, a high school football team, and uh, so this busybody got offended when he overheard the friends, the teammates and friends, uh, uh, you know, throwing uh, epithets at each other, that were insulting epithets uh, in, uh, in, in uh, I guess, the uh, world, and some epithets they would not use in public, and uh, she complained, and the football team ended up having to take sensitivity training. Now, what could be worse than creating resentment than sensitivity training? I don't know what could be worse. Uh, there's lots of studies in that. Look it up. The effect of so-called sensitivity training. All that does is increase, uh, is silence people, uh, alienate people from each other, and, uh, and of course, cause them to be very careful about what they say. Because who knows what busybody might overheard, uh, overhear them. But anyway, that's uh, the world we, we live in, and the world we live in is uh, increasingly humorless. Uh, I mean, there are comedians who used to appear at colleges that won't appear anymore because the college students don't laugh. They're not permitted to. I mean, how can you laugh at something? 
Uh, you know, a lot of things that uh, uh, that, that are said, uh, the funniest jokes have very often have kernel of truth in them. You know, after all, in New York, way back in the old days, 50s and 60s, uh, there was the Italian mafia. They had a big uh, 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 part in, in what happened in New York. In the garbage collection, they had control of that for a while. They even for a while can control the the distribution of cheese to pizzerias, <laughs> and uh, and you could tell uh, when the mafia was in cheese distribution, the quality of the cheese declined. Uh, after all, mafia had to make their their, their, their profits. So, so telling jokes about that wouldn't go today. We just wouldn't. Uh, and uh, I think that's unfortunate. I think the, uh, the the lack of the sense of humor forced upon us by the left uh, is is a very unfortunate uh, result of this uh, self censorship that's going on. And, and of course, uh, uh, the, the left is determined not only to destroy the Second Amendment, the right to defend yourself, but uh, the First Amendment. And the government can't do it because of the the uh, First Amendment and the Fourteenth Amendment. But corporations are doing the government's dirty work in terms of uh, ending uh, free speech. Uh, The corporate culture is dead. The media is increasingly dying. Uh, The tech giants censor everything that uh, doesn't fit the narrative that they're supporting at this time. And we'll get into that narrative shortly. Um, So... uh, we, we now do live in a society where the First Amendment is a dying issue. And with the Biden administration coming in, the attack on the religious organizations will now recommence. Uh, the Obama administration uh, mounted an attack on religious groups. After all, uh, by definition, uh, traditional morality is nothing but hate. Uh, the Southern Poverty Law Center, which a lot of these uh, left-wing politicians take their lead from, essentially uh, 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 claims that uh, many Christian-oriented groups are hate groups. Uh, This is all slapping over to uh, Jewish groups who are uh, uh, believing Jewish groups, not not the the, um, Reformed Jews or secular Jews, but uh, Orthodox Jews, conservative Jews, they're, they're starting to be labeled as hate groups too if they stand up for traditional morality. You can, you can be, you can be said to be a hater if you say mm, I don't really think sex, same-sex marriage is, is, is good for the society or, or, or I don't approve of it and uh, that, you're now a hater. Uh, when did tolerance which means that you really don't approve but you understand and, you, and people and you're tolerant of people's uh, views and, and sometimes their actions even though you don't approve of them but you're not going to you're not willing to judge the judgment to God. And uh, so when did intolerance become intolerance? They've redefined it. Uh, Tolerance to the left means you have to approve. Not just include, not not just don't interfere, not not include people, uh, gays, homosexuals, what have you, in society, but you have to approve. Now we're in the transsexual area. You have to approve of transsexualism, which is nonsense. Uh, transsexuals are sexual dysphoria, and they need to have psychiatric or psychological treatment. And that alone is going to get me in trouble. 
and so be it. Uh, but it's, uh, it's, it's nonsense to think people can decide what gender they are. They are XX chromosomes or XY chromosomes. They're male or they're female. And uh, there are differences. And uh, I pointed out last time, you have to ignore the fact that someone changing, try, attempting to change their gender by hormonal treatments or sex change operations suffer very high levels of suicide compared to the general population, about 20 times the rate, um, five times the rate of thinking about it, and uh, or vice versa, 20 times the rate of thinking and five times the rate of committing the suicide, and uh, health problems. The American Heart Association talks a lot about these, what this hormonal treatment does to, to your heart health. This is ignored. You have you have a, a woman appearing before a church group bragging about her four-year-old son wanting to be a girl and how she's going to cooperate. That's child abuse. That's where it is. It's child abuse. She should not be praised for that. She should be counseled against that sort of abuse, but she's not. Well, let, let me go on to the uh, another topic uh that I wanted to discuss today. And I have a number of friends who called me up about the uh, recent presidential election over the last couple of weeks. And, uh, and I, in the last three or four weeks, and I say, look, you have to be willfully ignorant if you don't think there's widespread fraud. Of course there's widespread fraud. That's not the issue. Only those, again, willfully ignorant uh, can deny the existence of widespread fraud. But the next question is, and there are two other really important questions. The next question is, was there enough fraud to turn the election from Trump to Biden? And the answer to that question is, seems that that's a possibility. Uh, one can take a look at all the evidence that's been adduced and uh, the, the uh, various sworn statements, the various analysis on voting and, and what happened uh, in the middle of the nights in certain areas. And one could reasonably say, yes, the fraud was so widespread and so pervasive that it did change the election. And one might say, well, no, it wasn't enough. But anyway, whatever. Uh, the third question is the key. If it was widespread, so widespread as to change the election, can it be proven? And the answer is no. What you know, let's say you know that it was stolen, and I think uh, a lot of people know, I think President Trump is one who knows that the election was stolen from him, or, or at least think they know, but knowing something and proving something on the rules of evidence in the court are very different issues. And that's the problem. Someday I'll make a prediction. Someday someone or some group will write, an article called How We Did It, and we'll explain in detail how they stole this election uh, between switching votes on on, uh, on voting machines, hacking in, and between uh, phony ballots coming in, uh, writing ballots, and dumping okay, hundreds, hundreds of thousands of uh, ballots uh, that totally phony. And that part of what they say and part of what they'll write about is Let's how stupid the Republicans are, how actually stupid they reacted, how cowardly the Republicans are. 
because they knew, and Trump knew this this fraud would occur, and he said it many times. And what did the Republican legislatures do in most states, like like Pennsylvania and, and Michigan? Nothing. Wisconsin, nothing. They did not do a thing. They were afraid to be called, oh, you're racist. You want to suppress the vote. And Republicans cowered in their corners uh, because that they didn't want to be accused of, of suppressing the vote or being racist. And that, it just goes to show you what people have been saying for many years. Republicans <clears throat> as a party, not all Republicans, but as a party, are the stupid party. The politically stupid. At this and point, let's... along uh, with the Democrats time after time. Robert, let's take a break and uh, talk about what you can do about it. And the one thing you can do about it right now is get out and vote for Kelly Loeffler and David Perdue. If we lose those two seats in the Senate, we've lost our country, I'm afraid. Would you agree to that, Robert? Yes, I think uh, if we lose the, uh, the the Senate, we that's it. The Republicans will never win an election again in my lifetime and maybe yours. Well, this is, uh, you know, like everybody uses the old cliche, the most important vote, most important election ever. Well, this one is. And uh, I have said this over and over again. I don't want someone like Empty Suit and or the reverend that, how can you be a reverend and vote for full-term abortions? That's murder in my book, and that's what you've got with Nor- uh, Warnock. He's a, he says he's a minister but or a reverend. I don't think he's reverend to anything other than to himself and wanting to get on the government payroll. And he is not worth the dynamite to blow his nose. And, you know, and his running mate is a totally empty suit neither one of them has ever done anything of any value and we've got to keep kelly loffler and david purdue in those two very very important seats just because we need and we've got to have our system of checks and balances if we lose that folks Get ready for the socialist and then communist invasion into the country. Do you think I'm far off, Robert? No, it's, uh, there's a Marxist revolution going on. That the Marxists uh, have taken over the Democratic Party and, and to, uh, <clears throat> to, to a large extent. And uh, it's, it's pretty clear they don't make any bones about it, for Pete's sakes. Uh, no. Black Lives Matter, which has a huge... Uh, war chest funded by big corporations uh, their leadership has said they are committed marxist trained marxist well what does that mean maybe someone ought to read what marx uh, had in mind uh, which includes the complete destruction of small businesses uh the petty bourgeois and uh, the, the end of the small businesses and they're certainly uh, doing we, that in we, new york aren't they we'll, we'll discuss that uh maybe a little bit more at a future so what Marx really said socialism capitalism socialism which ends up in communism yes sir. that's what he said okay back to your show Robert you're listening to America's web radio and here's professor Robert D'Agostino yes we're back with two facts matter after we just had a little discussion about uh, some other facts um, what I uh, 
If you remember, because uh, I was just talking about the censorship that's going on, and, and I did mention a, a show or two ago about this article in Commentary Magazine uh, by Christine Rosen, uh, you will be re-educated. And I really urge my listeners to get that on the Internet. It's on the Internet, it's Commentary Magazine, and it's cool. You will be re-educated. And uh, that's the end of uh, part of the end of the First Amendment. Uh, and, of course, the, the incoming Biden administration will, the other part of the First Amendment, religious freedom, will be under attack big time, as it was under the Obama administration, only to double down uh, this time. Uh, but talking about that, there's another commentary article that was actually appeared in the December 2019 issue of commentary. And I reread it recently because uh, of my position that we're now looking at the Great Reset. Uh, and I didn't mention an Harper's Magazine article by... Uh, uh, which, which dealt with that, uh, that uh, he didn't call it the Great Reset, but, but that's what, what it is. And what is the Great Reset? The Great Reset that's going on now is the shift from uh, national governments to control by international corporations uh, in alliance with the Chinese Communist regime. Uh, and uh, so it's all about control and money, power and money. Well, most human history is about power and money. Uh, our founders try to pre- you know prevent power and money from controlling the country. They succeeded up until Woodrow Wilson, who started the trend towards uh, the command economy, centralized control of the entire co- country, which uh, you trace from Woodrow Wilson to Franklin Roosevelt to Lyndon Johnson, and then the more recently to Barack Obama. You see the centralization of power in the in the set in the uh, uh, in, in federal government. And therefore, the decline in freedom, the decline in liberty, the decline in uh, private property rights, all of that uh, goes with this, and the destruction of small business. Obama administration spent eight years destroying small business. That's Marx, right on Marxism. Look it up. Look up the number of small businesses that went out of business during the Obama administration compared with the number who went in. In fact, the matter is that before before I get back to this article and commentary, during the Obama administration, 90% of the increase in income, 90%, yes, you heard me right, 90% of the increase in income during the Obama administration went to the top 1% of the country. 90%, the top 1%. Percent of the country. Now you guys, that's really amazing, and so you wonder why that being the case that uh, the top ultra billionaires are Democrats. They <clears throat> they also rentiers. They also their wealth is also based not on producing anything, but 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 living off. The increase in the value of uh, financials, uh, documents, uh, financial paperwork, uh, stocks, and what have you, don't produce a darn thing. Uh, but let's take a look at that. I mean, since I'm going to get off on this for a minute, uh, I probably should have waited, but let me get off on this. 
American billionaires' net worth has grown to four trillion during the pandemic. Now, who are these billionaires, and what party? And contrary to popular belief, of course, the Democrats are the party of the wealthy. Let's take a look at the the uh, some of the richest people in America and the world. Jeff Bezos, Amazon, Democrat. Elon Musk. Unclear. Uh, Elon Musk <coughs> uh, may actually be a secret Republican. It's hard to say, uh, or he may just be uh, independent, but he's not clearly identified with the Democratic Party. Bill Gates, Democrat. Mark Zuckerberg, Democrat. In fact, Mark Zuckerberg put $400 million into the Democrats in the 2020 election. And how did he do it? He said, well, you can't do that. Yet he, did, he did it by giving grants to, to counties in key states like Wisconsin and Michigan and Pennsylvania that were controlled by Democrats. People don't understand that the vote counting and the vote management are, are countywide in most, most states, including those states. So the counties control uh, how the votes are counted and the administration of voting. And Mark Zuckerberg put $400 million into local Democratic-controlled counties in key states in order to fund the the uh, management of the election returns, or one might say, if one were uh, you know uh, cynical, uh, to fund uh, the, the fraud, four hundred billion that came from Mark Zuckerberg, yeah, Facebook. Warren Buffett. He has announced many times he was a Democrat, committed capitalist, but a Democrat. Larry Page, Democrat. Steve Ballmer. That's Microsoft. That's Democrat. The Walton family. <clears throat> there's a mixture, but primarily Democrat. Uh, there's a whole bunch of uh, Walton uh, sons and daughters of uh, 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 the founder of Walmart. And uh, there's a couple who are predominantly Republican. But generally speaking, if you look up, they're, they're uh, substantially Democrats. Alice Walton, for example, is uh um, Soldi gives the Democratic Party and so does several other ones. So you have all these ultra-rich, the ultra-rich. The only one who's not a Democrat for sure is, well, that list, there's none of them that's not a Democrat for sure. Maybe uh, Elon Musk. That's, a, that's it. And uh, Sheldon Adelson, who's not on the list, I don't think, anymore of the top 10 billionaires, but he's in the list of the top 15, and he's, of course, a committed Republican. But anyway, the, the point is that the wealthy back the Democrats. And uh, I think I may have mentioned this last week. The One of the first things the Democrats have already announced is a gigantic tax cut for the Democrats, wealthy Democrats. The wealthier, the more the tax cut. And and this is supported by Nancy Pelosi. This is supported by Chuck Schumer. This is supported by Joe Biden. 
and that is in the Trump tax cuts. Part of the tax cuts in the Trump bill was not a tax cut, but was a limitation of a tax write-offs. So before this, the, the all those wealthy folks in the high-tax states, New York, Connecticut, New Jersey, California, all of whom, most of whom are Democrats, could write off their state taxes against federal taxes. A Trump bill put a cap on that of $10,000 for the write-off, which was, you know, that's a pretty good write-off, but it wasn't, weren't able to write off 30000 or 50000 or 100000 You now can only write off 10000 against federal taxes as a cap. So this was a this was a tax increase for the wealthiest. So this baloney that that the uh, Trump uh, tax cuts uh, was mostly a benefit to the wealthy is, is nonsense. Uh, in fact, a whole bunch of wealthy it didn't benefit whatever. In fact, it caused an increase in their tax bills. Now the Democrats, including Biden, who's announced their support, and now have come out for removing the cap, the write-off cap. And who does that benefit? The the wealthy, the ultra-wealthy in New York, Connecticut, New Jersey, California, primarily around the Washington, D.C. area, uh, Maryland. The, these these are where they live. These are where the, 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 the wealthy live, the affluent live, and overwhelmingly Democrats. So it's a payoff to the Democrats. And the Brookings Institute, hardly a conservative think tank, but Brookings does a lot of analysis of... of uh, of, of policies, and Brookings Institute has called this one of the biggest tax cuts for the wealthy ever proposed. So, when they, if they get in and they get the Senate, and the Democrats get the Senate, one of the first things they do is give a big tax cut to the wealthy by removing the cap on tax write-offs, which means all those people in in low-tax states, all the states that are run efficiently will be subsidizing the high-tax states once again. So don't give me an idea students, all oh, Republicans are, in, are, are part of the wealthy. No, no, the Democrats are the party of the wealthy, particularly the ultra-rich who are protected because the ultra-rich has, have another, especially the tech giants, they want access to China and so what we have now two reasons why Trump had to go. One, he raised their taxes by capping their write-offs. Trump has to go. He's interfering with their uh, playing footsie, economic footsie with the Chinese communists. Trump has to go. Look, look what look what the National Basketball Association. China is their second big source, second biggest source of revenue. And when some general manager Mori of uh, Houston Rockets said that he tweeted that he supported the Hong Kong Chinese in their fight for freedom and democracy. And China said, closed, uh, uh, would not televise any Houston Rockets games and threatened retaliation against the National Basketball Association. The National ba- Basketball Association leadership fell all over themselves to apologize to suck up the Chinese Communist government. And what's that about? Money. Power. Money. Trump had to go. He interfered with their access to money by being tough on China. My goodness. Uh, 
And by the way, the, the, the shift in wealth during the pandemic to the wealthiest was approximately one trillion bucks. And I have a proposal which uh, I'm going to try out on Kelly Loeffler or um, or uh, David Perdue, assuming they're 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 reelected. Because uh, I mean, it's hopeless to, on Warnock and Ossoff because they're in the pocket of the of the wealthy. The um, the money coming in from the tech giants and the uh, mainstream media moguls into Georgia to support their reelection are, are a massive. Uh, one estimate has it's around three hundred million so far. Uh, they'll do anything to get them elected. And you say, well, what's in it? What's in it? Money and power. Money and power. Power for the bureaucracy, power for the uh, the left Marxist uh, revolutionaries. Look, no revolution, no, no is ever control is ever a bottom up. Maybe the I don't know. I'm looking at the world history, but, okay. but Robert, we need to take another one of those nasty breaks right quick. Okay, and I'm going to make it very easy on everybody. Just go to our website, americaswebradio.com, and become a patron. And we have uh, different levels that you can become a patron. And uh, we'll send you a pocket constitution or, depending on the next level, a beautiful 3 by 5 American flag. And for the next level, you'll get both of them. So just go to our website. And also, when you're there, please... Check out J. Roy Ritchie Memorial Veterans Prayer Line. We're getting good response from that. And if you're a veteran or know a veteran that needs prayer, just fill out the form and send it to us, and we'll be sure to add them to our list of veterans that we're asking other veterans to pray for. There's nothing like... A veteran praying for a veteran. They've been there, they've done that, and they know what it's all about. So, with that being said, you're listening to America's Web Radio and the Dufax Matter Show with our professor, Robert D'Agostino. Back to you, Robert. Thank you, uh, Dave. This is Robert D'Agostino again with Dufax Matter, and I was uh, somewhat off on on, on a tangent uh, about... uh, uh, the the wealth transfer to the wealthiest people, uh, and which is of course exactly what the Democrats are going to double down on that transfer uh, if they get control of the Senate, and they will pass, they will release, remove the cap on tax write-offs uh, to uh, the, to the uh, to the wealthiest. Um, Robert, can and, I interrupt you one more time, please? Uh, We just got a text message from a listener, and they were wondering about if, and obviously a gun owner, if uh, Biden tries to, or the House and Senate try to uh, take away our weapons, how can they, would it go to the Supreme Court, but how can they do it with uh, amendment, the Second Amendment? Well, I, I think uh, obviously they're going to pass m- new regulations uh, if they take the Senate uh, controlling gun. You know, it's, uh, it goes back to the, the Brady Pack. I got a lot of emails from the great Brady Pack about gun control, and uh, we need to have more gun control. 
And I uh, wrote the back saying, well, that's all well and good, and I certainly would like to see some more gun control, particularly taking guns away from criminals. Well, how do you propose to do that? So, of course, I didn't get a response. Um, They're not interested in taking guns away from criminals, only against the law-abiding citizens. So, and that, there's a political reason for that, uh, chaos, alienation, all that stuff. But, uh, the, um, yeah, they will pass it. And the question is, will, will they find judges who will go along with, with draconian measures? The answer is yes. There's left-wing judges all over the place. And it gets to the Supreme Court. What will the Supreme Court eventually do? Um, I think the Supreme Court would, would, uh, support certain restrictions, tightening restrictions on gun ownership by people with uh, uh, criminal backgrounds, if the Democrats are interested in that, I don't think they are, and uh, people with uh, mental health issues. But, you know, you know Parkland shooting, <laughs> there was plenty of stuff and in, 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 in controls in place in, 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 uh, that could have prevented the Parkland slaughter. The, the kid who did that was known to be violent. He was warned about, the uh, FBI uh, warned about violence. He had put on his Internet uh, his intention of committing uh, violent acts against his uh, fellow students. And the law enforcement people in, in, in that county, Broward County, I think it is, uh, ignored those warnings. The, the, the education department ignored the warnings there because he had Hispanic surname. They wanted to be seen as uh, prejudiced, and he ended up killing those, those students. So there were controls in place. There were ways of stopping that. Uh, so I don't know what further controls they want. They always talk about these assault rifles and magazines, you know, limit the magazines to, to 10 bullets or something. I'm not a gun expert, but yes, the answer is that they will they will pass other controls, um, they will not succeed at the Supreme Court in removing guns but they, uh, from ownership, but they probably will succeed in, in uh, waiting times and uh, that sort of uh, controls, maybe types of uh, rifles to be sold. Um, I think that that will happen. They will have a, a large-scale assault, but until they pack the Supreme Court, they won't be able to, to put uh, all the ideas they have in mind, which, of course, ultimately is to seize uh, guns or seize rifles, uh, even though most crimes are... First of all, half of all homicides are, are, are more than half are suicides. And, so, oh, well, look, we're going to prevent all those suicides. No, you're not. Countries with gun control, uh, people find different ways of committing suicide. <laughs> So you, you get uh, many fewer gun suicides in a lot of countries, but they make up for it by more suicides, by poison, by knives, by jumping off bridges and what have you. There's a, a great article in Discover magazine of, of a few years ago which went over that uh, sort of thing, and I can uh, report back on that uh, at this show in the future if there's some interest in that. Uh, so uh, so let, let's take uh, most of those uh, homicides out. And so then how are homicides... Well, mostly guns. Now, how do you control guns? That is extremely difficult because a lot of the, the, the guns are in the hands of criminals. And now that the Democrats have control of most of the major cities, no longer have stop and frisk, and now the homicide rate is going through the roof. Well, who's getting killed? Well, the pimps, the drug dealers, uh, the gangs are shooting up each other and killing each other. The, the homicide rate 
primarily among, at this point, the Hispanic and African Americans, is going sky high in these violent neighborhoods. And why? Because the police will not step in because they cannot. If they step in, they get sued. If they step in, they lose their jobs. So we have, uh, uh, so the question is, ask a Democrat, what will you propose doing about this gun violence, handgun violence? That's what primarily is going on, not rifle violence, handgun violence in the inner city. What are you going to do about that? Right, their answer is, oh, we're going to make the gun manufacturers liable. No, no, that'll do nothing about taking guns out of the hands of criminals. What it does is it will enrich the trial bar uh, who can sue all these companies, and the trial bar will get wealthy. American gun manufacturers who make relatively safe guns, high-quality guns, will go out of business, and then the country will be flooded by cheap guns from overseas. Uh, so the answer is... Their answer is, is absolutely absurd. I, Robert, I, you know, in, in your you many know. years of experience, have you ever known of a case where a gun shot someone? Well, you know, I suppose that sometimes you drop the gun on the floor and, yeah, and the gun goes off by accident. So I guess there's maybe one in one million times that may have happened. But that, but, but that's uh, that's an, that's called an accident. That's not the gun saying, "Oh, I I'm sitting on the table. I think I'll shoot somebody." That's right. It's not, uh, you know. I and of course the the, the control of, of that sort of thing. Uh, there are enough regulations on the books now. If people would follow them, I mean, the Parkland shooting should not have happened. There was plenty of warning about this kid that, that did it. There was plenty of, uh, of advice. Uh, he, he, he was referred uh, when he was in the school there to, for, for counseling. But the school was afraid to do anything because, well, and we don't want to show that uh, we're anti-Hispanic, Hispanic name. So uh, if, if people will not... I, I, the motivation, you've got to understand the motivation, David. And the motivation is to take guns away from law-abiding citizens. You don't want citizens defending themselves. So and you don't care about criminals because criminals, chaos is very important for, in a pre-revolutionary situation. Like, uh, and I just, if you got to know history, French Revolution, Nazi Germany, 1905 Russia, uh, even China and uh, when... when uh, uh, all of the communism was failing. Uh, Mao Zedong uh, l- launches the Cultural Revolution, which was uh, created chaos all over the country. The idea was this chaos would then lead to the new utopia. Uh, Pol Pot in in who do you chaos? And how do you, how do you stir up the chaos by teenagers using teenagers to go attack their uh, adults who had any education? So the, the establishment of chaos is important. And therefore, it's important that criminals have guns and criminals be allowed to keep their guns, be allowed to do what they're doing, because any means to noble ends. So we have to sacrifice. As, as one left-wing socialist once said some years ago, when confronted with Stalin's crimes, we always thought we had to sacrifice a generation. You know, as long as you are not uh, the, <laughs> the target of the, of the, of the gun, uh, you, can, uh, you can be uh, very progressive. You know, all those people living in gated neighborhoods with private security guards, uh, they can uh, go and uh, alibi their rioting and the looting. People who are subjected to the rioting and the looting are not so uh, tolerant, presumably. 
although who knows, uh, Seattle is becoming a dead city, and, uh, and they still vote for the Democrats. Uh, so I, I think uh, one has to, unfortunately, uh, the motivations are not necessarily what they seem to be. Hmm. So I didn't yeah. mean to change the subject on you, but uh, we had somebody curious about that, so... Uh, well, I think I, I mean, I, I hopefully I kind of answered indirectly. Uh, I, the Democrats will not get away with uh, draconian controls if the Republicans have the Senate. If they do, they will attempt drag, draconian controls, which would include confiscating what they define as assault weapons. And uh, although I, assault weapons, as far as I know, are, are, are legal at this point, um, and. Uh, you know, people forget that uh, some of the loosey-goosey regulations that happened during the uh, Obama administration, those those things that turned a semi-assault to assault weapon, that device was approved during the Obama administration. You know, I, you can't walk into your local drugstore and, and buy a quote-unquote assault weapon. And I think they mean, a, when they say assault, they mean automatic, which you, is already illegal. You can't buy go into a drugstore or liquor store and buy an uh, automatic weapon. That's that's right. You just can't do it. Nor can you go in a gun store and buy one. That's right. You can't. And uh, and but but lying is part and partial. Again, uh, we, in the 1960s, uh, we used to say, uh, the left used to say, any means to noble ends. Well, we're back to that. Any means to noble ends, and that means lying is perfectly okay because we're going to create a utopia. And, of course, utopia is never achieved. Utopia on this earth is never achieved. And, therefore, the left is only about one thing, destruction. Destruction of your rights, destruction of liberty, destruction of society, destruction of the free market, destruction of each other. I mean, after all, the Bolsheviks killed all the Mensheviks in Russia. They were allied, but the Mensheviks were reformists. The Bolsheviks were not. And so when the Bolsheviks took power in in 1917 uh, Russia, uh, they turned on the Mensheviks. And they ruled in uh, in the name of the proletariat. And the proletariat that didn't agree with some of the things they were doing and wanted to have a real voice in what was going on, what did Lenin do? He had Trotsky kill him. So, uh, you know, (laughs) and the left always turns on itself eventually. And, And the... Big corporations always think they can control situations. Look at Nazi Germany. The big corporations got, to a large extent, got behind the Nazis, not because they were anti-Semitic, but because they were afraid of the communists. So they figured, oh, well, we can control Hitler. He's not too bright. We can control Hitler. Well, he wasn't too bright. But he had an agenda. He had an idea, and he knew where he was going. Yeah, AOC is not too bright. Alexander Ocasio-Cortez. Not too bright, but she's got an agenda, and she's winning in the Democratic Party. So we have someone not so bright, and certainly some of the pronouncements on, on history and, and, and economics uh, indicate she's pretty ignorant, but that doesn't seem to have stopped her uh, increasing influence in the party. I mean, she's got Democrats uh, running for office that are scared stiff of her because they're afraid that uh, she'll back somebody against them in a Democratic primary. Well, with that said, Robert, I'm afraid we're running out of time. We're out of time, in fact. So We're running out of time? How much time have you got left? None. Oh, my goodness. I didn't even get to uh, that, uh, that article I was going to talk about. 
And, of course, next Friday is Christmas, so we won't have a show next Friday. No, sir. But we'll be back in two weeks before okay, see you. New Year's. Okay. See you then. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.